Well, good morning. We're so thrilled that you decided to join us today. My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we're in the ending uh, part of a series we're calling Overwhelmed. We're going to talk about that today. I want to tell you, uh, before we jump into that, tell you two things that I hope you'll take advantage of. One, uh, when you came in, there's this card on your seat that says yes, and there's all these little areas on here. This is a card you can take to the community space right after the service, and we have a fair where you can find a place to say yes to serving and making a difference. That can be an hour a month. It can be an hour a week. It can work with your schedule. Um, there's a DJ. What? What? And uh, you drop this card off, and you'll be registered. We got, I think, a couple of really great swag bags full of just fun gifts and, and that kind of thing, and you drop that in there. Even if you don't want to serve, uh, you can still be entered <laughs> in the drawing. Um, we, need, uh, we did a, a little audit of our kids' ministry, realized we needed about another 35 to 40 volunteers to make it uh, not burn out our current volunteers. And we need guys, we need students. Um, you can make a f- difference in a kid's life by serving for an hour a week. I am, in very large part, part of who I am is because some volunteers in the church I grew up in just served. They didn't have a whole lot of gifts. They loved me. And I'm here today because of that. And you could make a difference in somebody's life. So please check it out. Uh, It's lots of fun. There's giveaways, all kinds of fun stuff there. So check that out. And then I want you to know what's coming um, so you can know how you can share this with your friends. But next week we begin a series uh, about how how to live a life that's content, where you feel like you have enough, like you do enough, like you are enough. And then we're going to end on Easter talking about how Jesus is enough. And um, so if you've ever gone, hi, I'm not feeling like I'm I'm making it. How do I get there? How do I close the gap and feel like I've got enough? Because we get the message sent to us all the time. You don't have enough. You're not doing enough. You're not enough. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that, the secret of, of being content from the, from the scriptures. We're going to look at the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, which is all about that. Um, but that will start next week. Uh, we always read a passage of scripture. I want to invite you to stand with me, if you would, as we jump into what we're going to talk about today. I'll read it aloud. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it. If you don't have a Bible as you exit, uh, there are some uh, stands with Bibles. It's our gift to you. You can take that. Uh, but if you have that, leave it open. Smartphone, leave it on this uh, passage, and we will look at it together. Here we go. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the, read those three words, what? Children of God. The Spirit you received, you received, turn to your neighbor and say, you can receive it. Yes. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought your adoption, uh, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's what? Children. Children. Now, if we are what? Children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in this series, if you've uh, you've been with us, we've been talking about the things that overwhelm us and figuring out what to do when we don't know what to do, and we've been talking about... uh, in large part, our emotions, and our emotions are an incredibly large part of our life, and I would uh, suggest to you that one of the reasons that you struggle in your life is because you have some emotions that you're just not aware of, and they're forcing you to react to life instead of acting on life. You ever been in a situation, something happens, and you're mad? You're in a situation, and all of a sudden you're sad? 
you're depressed the rest of the day because some, what someone said to you or a, a phrase they used or something you saw on Facebook? We're, we react to emotions that we can't understand and that we can't name. It's better if we could just know them because we have them anyway. If we could know them, then we could understand them, then we could choose how we act instead of reacting. It's kind of like uh, we all have this unexamined pile of stuff. It's covered up. We don't really know what's under there. Uh, we don't really want to know what's under there. And so we don't pay attention to what's under there. But our emotions are like these things under this pile. And it's the unexamined emotions I find when I try to listen to people and help them deal with the, the pains in their life as a pastor. It's the unexamined emotions that sandbag people. I know parents who say, I'm not talking to my kids anymore. I'm not talking about parents of teenagers who are like, listen, you, I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about parents of grown kids. I know kids who say, I don't talk to my mom anymore. I know people who were in business with someone and they had a partnership and then the partnership didn't work and they went separate ways. I know people who got married and they got married and then it didn't work out and now they hate each other and they despise each other and they use their kids against each other and there's all this animosity and all this bitterness. I know friendships of people that have died. The reason most of the, the time mo those things happen is that there are emotions attached to something. It built up for a while. There's an unexamined pile built up and the stuff from the pile, the emotions came out. They went a little wild and that became an off-ramp to end the relationship. You ever been there? The problem with that unexamined pile is that you end up being driven by your emotions. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a word picture for that. It's like your emotions become the wind in your sails. Like you put the sail up, and then you're angry, and you just get blown by anger. You put your sail up, and you get blown by fear. You put your sail up, and you get blown by depression. You just, you're driven by something. You're not in control. You're driven by something. Or... Uh, or the, the emotions are like the rudder on the ship, you know, the rudder turns, and no matter what you do, no matter how you feel, when the rudder turns this way, the boat goes that way, and have you ever ended up someplace, and like, how did I get over here? I, I wanted to go over there, how did I end up over here? It's because your emotions were driving you. Or, or your emotions are like a bit, you know, the bit in the horse wears, uh, it's that pressure against the, the jaw that turns the horse, and that emotion turns you, like, oh, man. It's the unexamined pile that does that to us. Now, when, when we react, here's, what, here's what's happening. We're no longer in control of our life. I had this uh, kid in the ninth grade. His name was Michael Butts. What a terrible last name. <laughs> I think he was compensating. He was a little dude. And uh, he was that kid that you grew up with in your school who just picked on people to pick on people just to prove that they were tough. And so I would watch him say things to people, do things to people, sandbag people emotionally. And now from a distance as an adult, I can look back and I can realize what he was trying to do was getting, to get people to react. And once they reacted, he was now in control and they weren't. That's what this unexamined pile is doing to you. And that's what we've been saying in this series is you could, you could pull out from the pile those things. Socrates, the, 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 the Greek philosopher, he said it this way, an unexamined life is not worth living. So we've been saying that with God's help, you could pull back the cover on the pile and you could pull out anxiety and find out, oh, I, I feel anxious, 
But I can cast my cares on the Lord and I can find the peace of the Lord come into my anxiety. Uh, we talked about uh, your past and we said you could pull back the lid and you could find whatever was in the nasty thing of your, your past and you could realize that you could forget the former things and see that God's doing a new thing and you could be caught up in that. We found out that you could deal with your fear. Uh, you could pull that out from underneath the pile and you could look at it and go, there's my fear and you don't have to live in the boundaries of your fear and you can find out that love drives out fear. And then last week we talked about uh, how you've been hurt in your life and so you can take out the hurt and you can look at the hurt and you can go back and see why you got hurt and you can deal with the pain that you feel and the pain in the relationship and find a way to move forward you may not like these emotions but you have them and if you don't like them you can learn though to deal with them and the reason that you don't know what to do is that you so you are so often leave those things in the in the unexamined pile now there's probably one thing in the unexamined pile that really honestly drives a lot of these things and, and we don't really recognize it and sometimes we don't talk about it and, and sometimes we don't want to talk about it and we're going to talk about it this morning and, and it's this big thing that kind of sits in the middle and props everything up and it's your family, the family uh, that you came from. Now this is maybe the most important thing to take out of the unexamined pile because often the family that we came from is the source of these other things. In our family, we learned about anxiety. And in our family, uh, that is our past. And so they hurt us. And, and our family is where we learned fear and who to be afraid of. And our family hurt us. And so we've got to do something about our family. And uh, isn't it the truth that the people who love us the most can hurt us the deepest? And so, so many of us have... We've left it in the unexamined pile, right? We're like, well, I don't want anybody to know that, so let me cover that back up. And let me just, I don't want anybody, I don't want to deal with that. But it's driving us. And we're reacting and we're out of control. And we're overwhelmed. So let me, let me I'm not going to solve for you all of the, the pains of your family. I can't do that today. I don't have that power. I don't have that ability. But I, I can talk to you about the purpose that God designed families for. And then talk to you about what God's family is like and how being in God's family can bring some healing to the family that you grew up in. Uh, as, as I see it, there are at least four purposes for the family, and this is from the scriptures. And so if you're not a Christian, you may go, okay, well, I don't know if I agree, but if you're a Christian, you'll, you'll, this, will, this will make sense to you. Uh, before we do that, I want to show you my family. This is uh, my mom and dad. Uh, when they, this had to be like in the 1960s. You can see I got my gifts of hair from my father. Thanks, dad. Thanks a lot. Uh, here's a picture of us. This had to be the, like the 70s, sometime in the mid-70s. Uh, there's me and my dad and my mom and my sister. Uh, I don't know if we had a bad day that day. I don't know if you weren't allowed to smile. I don't really know what was going on. Uh, but that was, that was the family. That was the root system of me. That was the people that shaped me and formed me probably more than anybody. Um, but here's, here's four reasons. Maybe you want to write these down because you could refer to these as you're trying to build a family. Um, like I'm, my wife and I are trying to build a family. Uh, but here's, here's four purposes for the family. First is uh, that you wouldn't be alone. God created Adam, and God said about Adam, it is not good that man is alone. You and I were made for other people. We weren't made to go through life alone. We weren't learn, made to face life alone. We weren't made to hurt alone. We weren't made to suffer alone. We were made to go with some other people. So God puts us in families. One of the main purposes of the family is that we wouldn't be alone. Uh, second one is that 
that you, through your family, God would train your character, develop you into a good person, a solid person, a reliable person, a, a courageous person, a purposeful person. That's what a family is supposed to do. Uh, if you read the Proverbs in the Old Testament, one of my favorite books, you'll read things like Proverbs 23, 24. And it says this, the father of a righteous person, in other words, a, a person of character, will greatly rejoice. I got, I got a kid that's got character. And whoever fathers a wise son will be glad because of him. You're supposed to, in your family, learn how to be a good person. Uh, third thing is this, is that you would learn what love is like, what it means to be loved, how it feels to be loved, how it feels to give love, how it feels to sacrifice for love, how it feels to be a loving person. You're supposed to, the family is meant to be the laboratory where you learn all of that. I, I've got to think that Mary and Joseph, just based on what we read in the scriptures about the kind of person that Joseph was and the kind of person that Mary was, that they had a, a profound influence on Jesus as he grew up and he saw how they treated people, how, how righteously they dealt with people, how kind they were to people. That had to rub off on Jesus. In the family, that's where we're supposed to learn all of those things that many of us miss about love and, and what it means. Then the fourth thing is this, is that your family is meant to teach you about God and his love and, and help you learn to follow Jesus. Your blood family is not your final destination. God has his family that he wants you to belong to, and it's that family that you're going to be with forever, uh, not your blood family. Um, this is how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, his mother and his brother and his sisters were outside, and his disciples said, hey, your mother and brother, they're outside. And Jesus said, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> my mother and my brother and my sister are whoever does the will of my father. And, and many of us take our family, a wonderful thing, and we put God-like qualities into it and, and try to make our family do everything for us that God's meant to do. And, and especially Christian people, we mistake the nest for what's next. We mistake the incubator for the end. God has a bigger purpose for your family you're in. It's that you would all belong to his family. I love my kids. I, I want my kids to like each other. My wife and I are trying to teach our kids. We're, we're, we don't know what we're doing half the time. At least I don't. She's better than me. But if, if I had to choose, if you had to make me choose, now, you're, you're, either your kids are going to love each other and they're going to love you or they're going to love God. I don't think that's a choice, a binary choice like that. But if I had to choose, I would choose that they would love God because that's their family forever. Now, this, this whole purpose of a family thing works great if you have a mom and you have a dad and they make a committed covenant relationship that they're going to be in this for life and they're going to work through any of their difficulties. And in the safety of that, you can raise kids and all four of those things can happen. That's, that's the God's purpose for the family. That's what I hope happens in your family. But here's the problem, and here's why we put it in the unexamined pile, and we don't want to talk about it, and we don't want to deal with it. The problem is that most families are not like that at all. <laughs> you may have been overwhelmed by listening to that list and go, well, my family didn't do that, and they didn't do that, and they didn't do that, and they didn't do that. My family was angry. My family was mean. My family was drunk. My family was cold. My family was neglectful. Uh, and, and even if you had one of those intact families, it wasn't perfect either. Because there are no perfect families. You can just ask my kids. I'm not a perfect dad. I get mad at my kids. I lose my cool with my kids. I remember when my son was born, I, I thought this is the greatest thing ever. I, we've wanted a child for so long, our first son, and I loved him so much. And I remember thinking how I was so gentle in those moments, and I, I didn't make any mistakes, and I made allowances for the fact that he was a crying little baby. 
And the thought went through my brain. I bet, you know what? As much as I love this kid, I am sure that I'm at some point going to hurt him. And I have. And that's the case for every single family. Because the people who are supposed to love us, sometimes on purpose, sometimes not on purpose, they hurt us. Someone said it like this. They said children are the best recorders of events but the worst interpreters of them. Right? You go back and you look at the things that happened and you, you can name all the things that happened. And you were wearing this and you said this, but you don't always understand exactly what, why it happened. I had this thing, this scenario that happened to me in the third grade when I went up to the board and uh, I wrote on the board and the teacher in my interpretation of that event was shaming me and making me feel bad for not doing it right. Now as an adult, I can look back and say she was trying to take an example of, and, and help the class and me learn to write better. But my interpretation of it as a little third grade child was that this is somebody who's going to hurt me and I shouldn't let people hurt me like that. Because children are the best recorders of events, but they're the worst interpreters of them. And, and your family is that. The, your family is the root system of you. And you take that root system wherever you go. And, and let's just say you go and you get married and you marry another person that's uh, different than you and you have your root system that you came from and how things are done, and what you do is you put moral weight in the way you did things, this is the right way to squeeze the toothpaste. What is wrong with you? And the other person says, no, this is the morally right way to squeeze the toothpaste. Why did I marry him? You know, it's like, and you have to decide. You have to figure out, okay, I had, you had your way. I had my way. What's our way? That's really hard work. That's, that's really difficult. But here's what I found about the family. That your family, that my family, in some way, maybe it's a very deep version of this, maybe it's a light version of this, creates a fog for us. We can't really see. That's kind of why we're overwhelmed. We're in the fog. There was, I think maybe it was a week ago, there was a heavy fog that came in the morning, and I, I know the way I take to take my son to school every morning, and I know where the road bends, and I know where to turn, and and just that fog, that un- inability to see what was in front of me made me question what I knew. <laughs> and that's kind of what family has the power to do in our life when we leave it in the unexamined pile. It just functions like a fog. And we're not, I, I think, uh. and, and so you have to move, you have to take some steps forward. We're not going to solve all of that today. But you're going to have to, the way you bring sunshine, sunshine is you allow God to begin to heal that and you thank God for the good things that came from your family and you forgive the things that didn't work in your family and maybe that's a long list. And then you begin to move forward. And if you weren't here last week, we talked about going back and finding healing for hurt. And you might listen to that. So if you're feeling like, well, I didn't have a perfect family, uh, I got good news for you, neither did anyone in this room. You're not alone. So let me, just for the remainder of our time here, let me talk to you about God's family and and what it's like and what you can expect because Jesus' basic invitation was, listen, I know what your family was like. I know what you didn't get from your family. But I want to invite you into my family. A new family, a different family, a better family. And what Paul does in this passage is he tells us what God's family is like. He tells us several things that are true. and, And when they get into our soul, they begin to bring healing to us. And let me tell you, there's four things that he tells us. Um, and here's the first thing. Maybe you want to write these down. In God's family, you are never a worker or a slave. You are a child. In God's family, you are never a worker 
or a slave, you are a child. I want you to turn to your neighbor if you're a man. You're going to say, I'm a son. If you're a woman, you're going to say, I'm a daughter. I want you to turn to him and say, I'm a, I'm a son or I'm a daughter of the king. Just turn to your neighbor and say, say that to him. You're, you're not a slave of God. You're not, a, you're not a hired hand. Many of us, what keeps us trapped is we think that we have to work for God to earn God's affection and approval, and we do the best that we can do, do, and we think that the way it works is that we work our way up. And that's kind of the default of the human heart. I find myself, I know, I know about God's grace, I know about God's kindness extended to me, that I didn't earn God's love, that he gives his love to me. I, I know all that. But the default of my heart is to say, but if I screwed up, i got to earn my way back. If you're a hired hand, you do have to do that. If you're a kid, you never have to do that. In God's family, you're never a worker, you're never a slave, you're always a child. Second thing is you don't have to fear rejection, you can have the confidence of belonging. So what Paul says is we have the Spirit of God that doesn't make us a slave again to fear. And when you're afraid, you're afraid that you're going to do something wrong and you're going to be kicked out. And so you don't have confidence. But then you, when God's family, you can know that you belong. And when you think you have to earn your place, you're insecure about your place. And you're afraid that you might lose your place to someone else. So i got to keep trying. i got to keep working. But you can have in God's family the confidence that you belong because God's invited you into his family. The third thing is this. Paul says that we are adopted we're adopted. Turn to your neighbor and say, God picked me. God picked me. My parents weren't supposed to be able to have children. They tried for uh, a lot of years to have kids and, and um, had some medical issues and, and couldn't have kids. And uh, w- when I finally came along, it was a surprise. And um, before that, four years before that, my parents had just kind of given up hope that they would ever have their own child. They were missionaries in Africa. And uh, on one of their trips back, um, they uh, were going to Oklahoma City where they went to college and met each other and got married. And, and they got a call that there was a little girl there born to a mom from Indiana in Deaconess Hospital in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And they went there and they picked my sister, Jenny. Uh, they chose her. They wanted her. They longed for her. They desired her. They wanted her to be a part of their life. They had room in their life for her. They were willing to sacrifice things so that she could be a part of the family. They wanted her. Do you understand that adoption means God wants you? God desires you. When you were born, if you were born naturally to your parents, they looked at you and went, I guess I'm stuck with that one. (laughs) But adoption means... That God said, I want that one. I want him. I want her. I want her. I want him. I pick you. And when Paul uses this phrase adoption in that day, it wasn't exactly like adoption. There were some of the same kinds of elements, but adoption usually happened when you were an adult, and, and it meant that you were wanted. That's the same. You know, the parents chose you. They desired you. You, you were invited into a new family. You couldn't be kicked out of the family because now you were a permanent member of the family. That's the same. You were given a new identity. Get this. If you had debts, if you had uh, a status, if you had a reputation based on what you had created for yourself or the family you were currently in, guess what happened when you were invited into a new family and adopted? All of that was wiped away. 
all the debt was forgiven, the reputation was wiped away, and now you had, you were now an heir. And, and when we think of heir, we think, oh, well, my parents are going to die and they're going to leave me, you know, their china hutch. <laughs> what that meant in that day was if you were an heir was you now had access to everything that your father had. You had access to his bank account. You had access to his resources. And you had access to his cars. And you had access to his vacation home. And you had access to his land. And you had access to his pond. And you had access to his home on the coast. And you had, you had access to everything because you were an heir. You could dip into the resources of the future in the present moment because you were adopted. God wanted you. God desired you. God planned for you. God needed you. God longed for you. And then Paul says we were given God's spirit. And in that day, when you adopted someone, it had to be uh, witnessed by someone. And Paul is saying that God's spirit is the witness that that's actually happened. Because if it was witnessed, because in case the father died, then someone could say, well, he wasn't adopted. The witnesses would step up and say, no, no, no. (laughs) I was there. They picked him. And Paul says God's spirit is in us to remind us again and again, I picked you, I picked you, I picked you, I picked you, I picked you. And so Paul says, as a result of being adopted, that we, we can cry, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is the Aramaic word for, uh, uh, the tender word for a, a, a child would use for its father. It would be like um, the first words that a small child could say. I remember the first words our oldest son said were, Dada. I liked that. My wife didn't. <laughs> Dada. Papa. Abba, it's a word of tenderness and closeness and belonging. If you, if you were to go into Jerusalem today and you were to go into the grocery, uh, the grocery store and you saw a little three-year-old boy or a little three-year-old girl who had lost their parent, you would hear them call down the aisle, Abba, Abba, Abba. Billy Graham died, uh, I think, two weeks ago. Billy Graham was 99 years old. He preached the gospel of Jesus to 215 or 20 million people, I don't know. Uh, he was 60 times on the list of the most admired people in America. No one even comes close to that. And I watched the funeral. It was online, it was online and on TV. And, and uh, his children got up, all with gray hair, and they all said the same thing when they started. They, they said this, because this is our closest approximating word to Abba. Let me tell you about my daddy. A term of endearment that's meant to last and, and, and a, a, a word that signifies the closeness of the relationship and the depth of the intimacy that's meant to last for a lifetime. So we can cry, Abba, Father. So this is what Paul's saying. When you're in God's family, you no longer have to earn your way. You're a child. You're wanted. You're desired. You're welcomed in. And you have a father that can be tender. He's strong enough to be tender and gentle with you. Because God knows the family we came from wasn't perfect. God knows that we want to leave it, most of us want to leave it and trip over it in the unexamined pile. (laughs) But you can have a new family, and that new family can begin to heal that old family. That's what we're invited into. What are you going to do with this? Well, I've got three things that I'd like to recommend for you that you could do to put this into practice. And here's the first thing. Um, if you're on social media, and, and most of you are, I don't know everybody, I know some people are not, but here's what I would encourage you to do. To t- find a picture of your family, 
to post the picture of your family. I'll do this later today on Facebook. And to write a note of thanks to your family for the things that you got from your family. Listen, your family may have been horrific. It may be something you want to forget forever. You never want to go back there. But there might be one thing you learned from your family, and you can say thank you for that. The list might be long for you. I don't, I don't know. But just as a way to, to bring some of the healing of God's family into your family, to put that picture there. Now, at the same time, you're going to have another list that you want to post on social media. Don't post it on social media. Of all the things you think, I just wish that hadn't happened. And you might want to write down a list and say, then this happened, and then my mom said this, and then my dad didn't do that, and then my dad was all, never there, and, and I need to forgive my parents for those things. They were human beings, and they did the best that they could with the tools that they had, and I'm going to forgive them, and I'm going to let them be human beings, and I'm going to move on with my life. And I'm not going to stay stuck in there and then. And that might, be, that might be a moment of healing for you to do just something simple like that today. Uh, second thing is this, Tim's going to come and play here, and um, the second thing is this, is that you would receive God's invitation to be part of his family. Earlier in this passage, Paul says that we're governed by one of two things in our life. We're either governed by what he calls the flesh. That, he's not talking about skin and bone. It's, he's talking about a mindset that thinks we are alone in our life and we don't need or, or there isn't or God's not available. And so life is entirely up to us. And he says when you're governed by your flesh, he says that's, that's death. You end up in a place where you're curved in on yourself. You have no room for other people. Your life just gets smaller. You get littler. He says the other option, though, is you can be governed by God's spirit. And if you're governed by God's spirit, Paul says, that's life and that's peace. And so you say, well, how do I, how do I receive the invitation? How do I, how do I get, be controlled by God's spirit or governed by God's spirit? How do I get past my flesh? Well, Paul says that comes from Jesus and that Jesus is the one that introduces us to the family. Maybe you went to a school, and uh, I, this happened to me one time on Thanksgiving break. I couldn't afford to go home, and so I got invited to someone's house. But m- maybe you've had something like that happen, and, and let's just imagine a scenario where you're invited to someone's house, and uh, one of your friends takes you, and it's like, hey, just come home for Thanksgiving with me. And, and you go to their house, and you drive the few hours to their house, and you go down the highway, the, the road, and you pull into the driveway, and you look at the house, and you go, wow, what an amazing house. And then you uh, pull up to the driveway, and you, you see there's a four-wheeler, and there's a pool in the back, and you look in the garage, and there's a Porsche, and you're like, what is that? And it's like, oh, that's my dad bought a Porsche. It's pretty cool, but we can drive it later. And you go in there, and then you go inside, and you smell the beautiful food, and, and then you see the warmth of this beautiful family where they love each other, and they hug each other, and it seems like everything's right, and no one's mad at each other, and Everybody wants to be there, and there's grown kids with their kids, and it's just this beautiful thing, and you go, what a great family. I'd love to be part of a family like that. And maybe you came from a bad family, and you're thinking, I wish my family was like this. And you get into that family, and then your friend sits down at the table, and he, he looks around, and he goes, I think, we should, I think we should adopt him into our family. And your friend introduces you to the family. And you, in your heart of hearts, go, oh, man, I would love, I'd love to be in this family. This is what Paul says, is that Jesus introduces us to the family and says, we ought to adopt him. We ought to adopt her. We ought to pick him. He ought to be part of our family. And then, then someone always says, because if you've ever adopted or known, been around someone who's adopted, it's expensive. And so someone in the family says, well, who's going to pay for that? You know what Jesus does? He goes, I'll pay. I'll pay so they can be in the family. I'll cover the cost because I want them in my family. But you've got to receive that invitation. You've got to say, okay, God, you want me in your family? Okay. 
Maybe today you do that. I'll, I'll lead you in a prayer in a second to help you do that. And then this is the third thing, and we're going to do this together as we close. As you would take a seat at the Lord's table, there's this practice that Christians have done for 2,000 years uh, that we take communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, goes by different names. And what that is is a meal symbolizing the fact that God has a seat at his table in his house just for you. That he's prepared that seat for you. He thought about you. When he set the, the knife and the fork and he put the plate out and he started preparing the meal, he thought about you. He thought, oh, I hope they'll take the invitation to be at my table, to be part of my family. And so today, uh, in just a minute, when you come forward, that might be, you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come into God's family. And then you, this is the first step, the first act, is you come up to the table and you take these elements that we take in the communion. We take the bread that symbolizes the body of Christ that was broken for us, and you can dip it in the juice that symbolizes the br- blood of Christ, the payment that was made for us to be part of God's family. And you can take it and you can eat it and go, oh, I'm wanted here. I'm home. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you would. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'd invite you to close your eyes if you would. You can have your own personal moment with God. And there's a list uh, that's going to come to your mind of the things you wish your family had done different. And maybe right now you would say, God, here's the list. I'm going to need your help to know how to forgive my family for what I wish they'd done, what I wish they hadn't done. Here's the list. Help me to, help me to heal and forgive. Uh, this might be the moment for you where you decide, I, I need to receive the invitation to be part of God's family. Maybe you've never done that. And I'd just lead you in this very simple prayer. You can just pray this prayer in your own heart and mind. God, I want to be part of your family. I want to feel like I'm wanted. I want to feel like I'm desired. I'm tired of trying to earn my place. I'm I'm tired of trying to pay my way. I receive the seat at the table that you've pulled out for me. So I'm going to need your help in understanding this and figuring this out, but I'm giving you my life right now. I want to belong to your family forever. You pray a prayer like that, you're a part of God's family. You're a Christian. You're started a new journey. If that's you, just no one's looking around, just would you slip your hand up, up, up and down just real quick? Yeah, several of you. Yeah. So God, now we, um, we're grateful that we get to be part of your family. That you love us, that you're Abba. That you're tender, that you're gentle, that you're kind. You're the dad um, that we've all wanted. And so we're, we're glad that you've pulled a seat up at the table for us. And so we say thank you. pray this in your name.